0: You're listening to Java with Jen with your host Jenilee Samuel. Hey guys! Okay, so I'm back. You guys have been so patient and so gracious. I have actually missed two weeks of posting this last month, and really, it's because it's summertime and I've been on vacation. And you guys have been so sweet. And so I'm back at home and I am ready to rock with this episode on hot and holy, which I'm, I thought that was pretty cunning actually, that little title. Thank you very much. Um, But I want to talk about modesty. Okay. And not actually, I'm not going to lie. I grew up In the church, Christian, surrounded with all the modesty talks and all the modesty. And to be honest, that word for the longest time really made me cringe. And it still feels like it has a negative connotation with it only because of all the ways I've been introduced to it all growing up. And so part of my goal in this message or in this podcast episode is to kind of help reframe that idea and really to kind of break some of the religious Gobbly gook that hangs off of it and really free us up to step more into our identity as sons and daughters of God, living in a kingship, um, in a you know, a heavenly reality as opposed to a weird, religious y, stuffy, rules based reality. So, are you with me? <laughs> okay, but speaking of modesty, I have to share a little thing. I went to Dillard's today and Totally spontaneous with a girlfriend. I bought a ton of shoes. Actually, five pairs, which I really don't have room for. So, I'm going to have to weed out some shoes out of my closet. But I haven't bought shoes in a while because my closet is full. So, I'm just going to have to weed out the old ones. But, y'all, I bought $500 worth of shoes. And I paid $110. And I was very, very proud. Every pair was between $17 and $23. And these are like $100 shoes I'm talking about. So, I was very proud of that. And you know what? I think that plays to modesty a little bit. I was modest with my budget. (laughs) So we'll go with that. Oh crap. I should have saved that for life hacks. Okay. So we started our episode with life hacks today (laughs) and go to Dillard's. Everything's like 65% off. And then uh, the one I nailed today was like 40% on top of that. And I found that a lot of those sales were actually relevant online as well. So Go do your shopping. There's your life hack. We just did it at the beginning. You're welcome. Okay, so on to this topic of hot and holy. Now, let me just give you a little background. Okay, first of all, this is going to be a series of episodes because, A, there's so much content here. I was like, I just need to write a freaking book on this topic. Secondly, the amount of feedback that I received online – was kind of mind-blowing because I feel like I've tried to talk about this before and it was kind of crickets and well minus a few, you know, people chiming in, but I actually asked men to weigh in and they had some incredible, gracious, wise, um, insightful responses that to me was really encouraging and so I'm going to actually have an episode dedicated just to that feedback and I'm going to interview one of the guys who gave some of that feedback and actually is also a very, really insightful um, guy and gives a lot of thought to this stuff. And so I'm excited for that episode. I don't know what we'll call it. Maybe hot and holy from the guy's perspective or something. Um, so stay tuned for that. But in today's, I want to address a few things. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you guys. So we're going to cut this into two episodes. And so um, in the next episode, we're going to get super practical about modesty And let's see here, I'm looking at my notes. Um, We're gonna get practical about modesty because, hi, sometimes it really does still help to have the practicals. Um, But in this episode, we're gonna address some of the messages that the church has sent to women over the years that many of us have experienced. And are those messages true? what does the Bible say? What is God's thoughts? And so if this is an area of life that has affected you or anyone that you know, please share the episode. Um, I think this is something that most women, actually people have been texting me asking when this episode will be up. So let's dive right in. Um, so one one message that I feel, now everybody, I did notice in polling my audiences that Different generations actually had kind of a different mentality around modesty, which makes perfect sense. It seemed that the older generation actually had more of a healthy perspective, that it was more about class and, and self-worth and value, and then the younger generation had more of a negative experience with the topic of modesty and fashion um, because it had more of a religious tone, which was cover up, shame on you for being beautiful, you don't want to make your brother sin. Now I don't know if that's because younger women tend to um you know uh maybe maybe they're just a little more sexy looking I don't know um, I think older women can be totally sexy looking. So I don't know if that's it or if it's just the different generations had a different messaging around it. But I want to speak to, since the older generation had more of a healthy approach, I really want to speak to what the younger generation has experienced and the message that we've received. And and what I've experienced and what many women have shared with me is that what the message we've gotten from the church has been cover up, be careful, your beauty is a vice, so be really careful, because you're going to make the guys around you sin, and if you do, it was your fault for not wearing the right stuff. And that sounds like a very harsh, stark way of looking at it, and that may not always be the actual verbal message that is um, expressed to people, But it is, from a lot of these women I've talked to, the message that is kind of um, secondhand given to us. So let me give you some examples. I had two um, ladies that I know who are actually both pastors. Uh, Let's see, I think both of them grew up in the church. One of them, her experience was that she was in school. And let's see, I'm going to actually look up her story right now because she sent it to me and I want to read it correctly. She said, um, let's see, forgive me. I should have pulled it up already. Okay. She said, in sixth grade, the rule at my school was that shorts cannot be shorter than four inches above the knee. I guess they were having trouble with it because the school nurse pulled us out of class, lined us up against the wall, and measured our legs above the knee with a ruler. Okay, high embarrassing. She says, I've had so many modesty talks and a major talking point, especially before prom. Emphasized that my body's feminine qualities could cause boys to lust. I think in general, growing up, I always wanted to hide my chest or my curves. This girl is uh, built a little more on the busty side. She said, I'm not one of the many people that feel bitterness about modesty culture, but I do feel or because I do feel there are some good nuggets in there about honoring my body and encouraging others to honor it as well. But I can definitely see how the message can get distorted and create shame and misguided assumptions about responsibility. So much depends on culture. When I traveled to Uganda, women would be walking around with their boobs out in church to nurse babies and stuff like that, but thighs and legs were considered very seductive. I'm responsible for my behavior, not others, but my behavior does affect other people and the way I'm perceived. Difficult, but true. I think that you and I have just found that often the church jumps the gun and mandates rules when often if the heart is discipled first, Holy Spirit does a better job teaching self-dignity and clothing ourselves with honor. I loved her response because she shared her experience and how high humiliation and honestly, I went to a Christian school and I'm pretty sure they measured our shorts as well. And, you know, it's kind of always like the girls walked around with this fear of being called out of class for being outside of dress code or, you know, because there was almost like this, I don't think anyone was trying to shame us. They were probably trying to be very kind about it, but, it was just embarrassing and you don't want to be the one girl who's wearing stuff that's too short because then it sounds like you're like a floozy or whatever, you know. And so I think in, in the church's effort, and I'm going to be gracious with my view of it, is that in the church's effort to convey a difficult message, um, one that really is an issue of the heart, it, it it's gotten messy and it's gotten complicated. And so I appreciated her perspective that was to look for the good in it And not totally discount the messaging, but realize eh, she has a right to eat the meat and spit out the bones. And that Holy Spirit really is the one who does the heart work of teaching us about modesty and um, how to dress. And so let me share another story with you. Um, And this woman is also a pastor. But she said, this one happened in college. The first one was in junior high. This one was in college. She she went to a Bible school, I believe. She said, we had a very strict dress code. The problem was I lived at the dorms and was fed fries and hot dogs every meal, and I gained my freshman 20. And listen, clothes being too tight from gaining weight, that's a whole other area, and that's always a struggle, and that's difficult on multiple layers, multiple levels, because... Then you don't feel good in your clothes, and you don't look good in your clothes, and then it looks like you're wearing stuff you shouldn't be wearing. So that's just difficult. Um, She said, I didn't have the money for more clothes, and my only option was what I already owned. The ushers, I guess that was who would keep an eye on dress code, were ruthless. As I gained weight, I gained their constant attention. The same lady that confronted me daily cornered me in the bathroom. I had a skirt to my ankles on. (laughs) <laughs> but there was a slit that hit the bottom of my knee. She grabbed the side of my skirt and started yanking on it, telling me how inappropriate I dressed and that she saw the bottom of my kneecap as I was walking. I cried. I was so ashamed. And I felt so helpless in the situation. I started starving myself to try to get things to fit. And just as you know, my body went into hibernation mode. Like, that's not okay. And... Okay, I have so many thoughts. I have to stick to my notes. But I think many of us ladies, especially if you've grown up in the church, but maybe even if you have not grown up in the church, but you've visited church and you felt judged by people looking at you because you didn't really know what to wear. Or, I mean, we've we've had, um, you know, ladies that I've seen ladies come into church who maybe just don't understand what modest dress looks like in the practical sense and they're wearing, but they're wearing their best. You know what I mean? And, and I feel like it's so, so, so important that we respond with a spirit of grace in this. So, okay, I'm not going to get off track, but as you guys can see from these stories, I think that those stories embody some of the messaging that many of us have been sent, which is shame on you, cover up your body, your female body, causes people to sin, so cover, cover, cover. And I've thought about this long and hard, especially when the Lord pulled me into fashion. When I got pulled into fashion, it was not something on my radar. In fact, growing up, I wasn't even allowed to look at fashion magazines, because Um, I think my mom just, you know, she, there's a lot of not good stuff in there too. And now I'm grateful. I didn't really feel particularly like I was missing out. If nothing else, I think she really preserved my self-esteem by not letting me look at fashion magazines. The equivalent today would be like Instagram and whatever. Um, and I think she saved my self-esteem in a lot of ways. Um, but I did have to kind of catch up (laughs) when I became an adult, had to learn a lot about clothing and makeup that I didn't learn when I was younger. Um, but with all that said, when I got into fashion, it was not on my radar. Like, I knew I was called to ministry. Fashion was kind of like a side, like like something that was secretly interesting to me. But in my heart, I always had this sense of that fashion and being interested in looking good was materialistic and vain. And, um, and sometimes I would get teased growing up because I wanted to be cute or wanted to be put together. And I'd get teased for it. And I didn't understand that. So it always felt like something I had to hide my interest in. So when I became an adult, it actually was very healing and redemptive to me that the Lord saw my heart and saw that interest and allowed it to kind of grow in the time that I was having babies and learning how to dress my body for different the different sizes that I was as I had babies and lost weight and had babies and lost weight. And I thought it was so beautiful how the Lord actually gave permission and gave grace and invited me into that industry and created opportunities for me to work in fashion. And I became a stylist working for Stitch Fix. You guys, a lot of y'all know this. And, um, but when the Lord pulled me into fashion, I was already a pastor and I was like, Lord, I don't like, I'm discipling people. I'm mentoring people. I'm preaching at church and, or in in our college ministry. And I was like, I don't want to put my time into something that's going to have no eternal value. So I, I only have old thinking that's from the church in my head of like this is vain, this is immodest, this is uh, materialistic, this is a waste of your time, and it's if you try to do this, you're you're going to be in the world and of the world, you know, like <laughs> all this condemning thinking happening, and so I was like, you know what, Lord, these are doors I could not have opened for myself, and and the Lord was kind and gave me these powerful, incredible dreams where I literally I felt like heaven came and sat on top of me while I had these dreams. And and it was right before the Lord opened the door to me in fashion. So I was like, okay, I need to I need to get your thoughts on this. Like my goodness. And and as I looked through scripture, I actually began to realize that the message that's been sent to me my whole life, not by anyone intentionally sending it, just the cultural environment of the church. The message sent to me of like shame and cover up and materialism and vanity surrounding clothing and dress, that actually is not God's heart about clothing and dress at all. (laughs) At all. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like God's like, hey, go dress like a tramp and it's okay. That's not the point. But what I'm saying is the very message I was sent that causes shame and sends a message that I need to cover up or that somehow... My female figure is the thorn in my side I'm always going to have to contend with. That is not the message of God's heart. And I really hope that in this episode, you guys really catch that truth. So as I look through scripture, I said, God, I need your thoughts. And of course, I found the scripture that talks about, um, it's in Timothy, I think, where it talks about that, uh, you know, women should not draw their beauty from their outward adornment, like the braiding of hair and the fine gold and jewelry, but from a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. That is a beautiful scripture, but it is a scripture that I feel like has been used in a condemning way. Or maybe that's just how the enemy twisted in our heads. Maybe no one meant to condemn us and just the enemy tried to distort an entire generation's perspective of beauty. So maybe that's what we're dealing with here. But That always sent the message to me of braiding hair and fine jewelry is a lesser version of beauty and is an unnecessary form of beauty and is really a vain, um, superficial form of beauty. Really, you should just focus on your heart. And then, of course, people pull out the scripture of, you know, God does not look at the outward appearance but as man does, but God looks at the heart. Um, And I feel like that also is kind of turned into a weapon sometimes of like, oh, you don't need to worry about how you dress. God doesn't care. You know, it's just man that notices that. But here's the sad, here's the real fact, people. In this world, we don't only exist with a relationship with God. We also exist with relationships with people. We don't just live in a spiritual world. We live in a physical world as well. If clothes didn't matter, God would not have slaughtered an animal in order to cover Adam and Eve. Did you hear me? God was the first fashion designer. And interestingly, I'm totally getting ahead of myself in my notes, but interestingly enough, wear clothing was first created was also the first place in Scripture that blood was spilt, and I believe it was a type and shadow of what Jesus was going to come to do. So I'm going to unpack that in a minute, but I don't want to get off my notes too far. Okay, so back to this. Is God's heart? Shame on you, cover up, hide your body? No. How these people handled my two friends who are both pastors, was that right? No. And, And here's the deal. Here's how we know that that messaging is not true. Here's one way. Is that these two women when there was a dress code rolled out at our church that was for, you know, the stage and for the staff simply because, you know, everybody has different understandings um, of what appropriate dress is. And so sometimes you do need a dress code. Workplaces have a dress code. Schools have dress codes. Um, I mean, heck, even some governmental buildings or restaurants have dress codes, right? So it's, it's, it's a thing and it's not a bad thing. But when this church dress code was rolled out, it was on the very strict side and it was very difficult to abide by because it was kind of extreme. Um, and these two women had very emotional PTSD type responses. And they both, as I processed with them, they both like realized that it was, it, it was a trigger for them because it was stirring up all these old feelings of shame from their childhood. Now let me ask you, when we treat people in love, and the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and patience, is love and joy and peace going to produce a PTSD-type response? No, absolutely not. But fear and control and, and shame, those things do produce a PTSD, post-traumatic syndrome disorder type of a response where they create triggers for us because our human souls, the way God made us, we're not designed to function and live in an environment of fear and control and shame. That's not what God made us for. So it doesn't compute in our souls very well. So when we have any kind of environment, every, any kind of situation... Where we are being managed by fear or where where a rule is being implemented through fear or control, it causes us a trauma type experience if, if we don't process it really, really well. And for these girls, those dress codes in school and Bible school, that produced a trauma experience because of the humiliation the shame and the embarrassment that they experienced right and then the the lies that were sent to them about their character of you're immodest you're indecent you're this you're that those were lies that were being attached to their personal sense of identity and so that's where the trauma came in and so that tells us that a lot of the way the church has handled this has been cloaked with shame, accusation. The enemy is, has seized it to produce lies in our hearts about ourselves that actually attack our identity. In fact, from the one friend, she went into a habit of starving herself and eating disorders because of those lies. Like, that was not God's goal or God's intention in encouraging us in Timothy. To let our beauty come from an inner quiet spirit. No, that was not God's messaging at all. And so the true messaging, the messaging that comes from God's heart, I believe that scripture, we can still glean the wisdom of that scripture. What God is trying to convey is, hey, listen, you're more valuable than your external um braided hair, pretty looks, all this stuff. He's saying there's more to you than just what you look like. I want you to draw your sense of worth from your inner man, from this quietness that is beautiful to God. You know why quietness is beautiful to God? Because it's a restedness. It says, I don't have to prove anything. It says, I know who I am in Christ. It says, I can walk in humility. It says, I don't have to make a point with my mouth. I can be quiet and let God speak for me. A quiet spirit is beautiful to God because it shows that someone's heart is rooted in their relationship with Him. That's what he was saying, is your beauty needs to originate first from your relationship with God. He was not saying braided hair, fine jewelry is bad. In fact, now let's dig into, when I got into fashion and I searched the scripture, I began to figure out and see that God actually very, very much endorses Quality clothing, fine clothing, looking attractive, looking beautiful, and putting thought and care into it. So, let me walk you through some of these things. Okay, so I'm way off notes, so whatever, but it's working. Um, All right, so there in the Old Testament, the priests, before they could go into the Holy of Holies, they had a certain ritual they had to follow, and part of the ritual was about their clothing. There were certain bells, certain um, little apples, I think, that hung off the end of their clothing. Apples might not be right. But there were certain things about their clothing that all were symbolic and represented certain things. And their clothing had to be free of blemish. Their clothing was made with linen and breathable fabrics because in the presence of God, you are not to toil. You're not to sweat. Um, and and so it had to be very breathable. And there was an ease and a, and a, a restfulness about it. And so his, their clothing was very meticulous and God was the one who gave instruction about what their clothing should look like. There's also a parable in the New Testament where they're talking about going to the wedding feast and that the, the Lord would open the door and would say, you're, you don't have the proper garments, you're not welcome. And is it actually about garments? No. What, it, what The point is, he's making the point in the wedding feast, is that when we get saved, the Bible says we receive... Um, Clothes and robes of righteousness. That's really what what it's alluding to in that parable. But even that speaks to when we get saved, we become clothed differently in the Spirit. We receive robes of righteousness. So when we go to heaven, we're going to be walking around with cool new clothes that are from Jesus that have a purpose, right? And so that has a purpose. There's a test, There's a story in the Old Testament that talks about, I think it's in Deuteronomy, um, that it talks about a baby that was found in the desert. Again, it's an allegory. And it, it talks about this um, rescuer who finds this baby that has been abandoned, splashing about in its own blood, meaning the umbilical cord has not been cut and it's, it's bleeding out. And in other words, that's the ultimate sign of abandonment, right? And that he finds this baby. He cleans up the baby. And he takes care of it and grows it up to age. And then when it comes to the age of betrothal and wedding ready to be uh made to be a bride, uh he puts this baby in fine garments and or baby is a woman now, puts it in fine garments and fine clothes to show that it was a bride, that she was a bride worth receiving and that she was of great value. Isn't that interesting? God was like, I'm going to put fine garments on you, fine linens to show that you are of value and you are valued by the one who loves you. That's a very different message than we've been getting from the church, isn't it? Proverbs 31 woman, she's praised for working hard and making fine clothes for her family. It says that she spins and and toils and and that her lamp never goes out and she sells fine garments and linens and silks at the gate, and that her her family has no need or worry um, of the weather because she makes sure they always have um, garments and that they're ready for the weather. And that is that is attributed to her as a great quality. And so look at that. Once again, the Bible is saying, hey, fine clothes and quality clothes and taking good care of your appearance actually points more To the fact that you are a valuable player, that you are a valuable person, that you have a rich identity and a rich significance, and it shows up in the way that you dress, right? When we get saved, there's robes of righteousness. The Bible also talks about being clothed in garments of praise. And so that's just a handful of the instances throughout scripture. Think about this as well. In the Old Testament, God gave very, very careful instructions to Solomon about how to build the temple, right? This much gold, this many cubits of feet or this much direction. And it's going to be gold here and silver there and fine gems there. And this is like this kind of wood and this kind of that. And it was very, very for like chapters and chapters in the Bible. There's these instructions about how he's going to build the temple in the new Testament. Who is the temple? We God's church, we people, the Bible says that, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That is us. Now, if God gives that kind of care to the temple of the Old Testament, where His presence lived in a box, but we are people and His presence lives inside of us, don't you think that He cares about how we dress, how we look? And not in a way that's full of shame, but in a way that's full of self-value. Because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, quickening your mortal body. And it is a representation to the world that there is a God in heaven who dwells among his people. Like, Oh my gosh, this is a really big deal. And so, God cares. Now, does that mean you need to get on the other end of the of the extreme spectrum where you're like, "Oh my gosh, now I'm not really being a Christian if I don't wear, you know, expensive brands and blah blah." No, like don't go extreme with any of this. Capture the message, capture the heart, which is God's heart is that because you are you are valuable, you are worthwhile. You're in covenant with the King of Kings and the one who breathed the world into existence. You should look like you have some value. Your clothes. Now again. Don't get legalistic on me. Hear my heart. Your clothes have the ability. To send a message to the people around you. Are you bound by the message. That your clothes sent? No. But can you utilize that. um, To convey more easily. To the world around you. Who you are. Yes absolutely. So. I naturally, my personality likes to look nice, likes to put myself together. That's just how I'm wired. I know there are some personalities that are like, I couldn't care less. give me a t-shirt and, and leggings and I'm great. you know That's okay. Don't feel any shame from any of this. Your personality is how God made you. Um, the issue here is not what you wear, it's it's how you view what you wear if that helps. Okay, so how you view what you wear, I have heard from so many women, I've styled over 8,000 people. In my time as a stylist, I've styled over 8,000 people. I have heard so many women, specifically, but men included, say that they don't know how to dress. They felt stuck because they used clothes to hide themselves because they weren't, they didn't love their bodies. They didn't like how they looked or they didn't know how to dress their bodies or they couldn't figure out how to look good in their clothes so they used clothes to hide themselves and they you know they usually pick this certain kind of comfy clothes and that's just what they did but even in that the messaging behind that that I could hear is a little bit of shame that like a little bit of failure like like this isn't who I am I don't want to look like this I don't know how to do it any different, but I don't want to look like this, but I do this because I want to hide. You know what's interesting is in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They went and they hid. Why? Because they were ashamed. We often want to go hide when we feel shame. When we're confronted about a dress code failure, we want to go hide because it's shameful, right? When we don't like our bodies, we tend to hide in our clothes because it's, we're a little bit ashamed. But what I want you to think about is that you, man or woman of God, you are a son of God of God in this earth meant to walk in authority, meant to cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead and do the miracles and bring people to salvation. That is Jesus' mandate for us, make disciples. That's some serious level of authority. You get to look like that. Now, again, I'm not saying put the clothes on and walk in insecurity. I'm saying back to what Scripture says in 1 Peter, or in Timothy, I'm sorry, Is that your beauty, your sense of attractiveness is true attractiveness when it comes from the inside first. I have been insecure in pretty clothes. And I still don't truly feel pretty if I feel insecure. But I have been fully confident in different seasons of my life. Like right now and and in other seasons where I'm walking in great intimacy with the Lord. And I feel so confident in who I am that I can walk Like royalty, I walk with my head high and my shoulders back, and I walk in a quiet confidence, even if I'm in sweat clothes. And so it it originates from inside of you. Modesty, and the spirit of modesty, really comes from inside first. It is an inside job, okay? So let me look at my notes here and get us back on track. So... As I was digging into this, well, let's see. Maybe we should define modesty in another one. Let me, to wrap this episode, let me dig into that covenant thing I was talking about, about the bloodshed. And in the next episode, we'll get into the real practicals of what exactly is modesty. Let's dig into the practicals of that. That'll be a briefer episode, but I do want to share some really interesting things I've learned over the years. So make sure you come back for for part two. But let me wrap this one up with... Going back into the garden. Now this is something that I just learned, not just learned, but I learned when I was searching out scripture and searching out God's heart about modesty. Any time in scripture where you find something is done for the first time, you have to take note of that because it sets a precedent for throughout scripture. In dream interpretation, which is something else I do, If you're looking at what a number might symbolize, you go to the first place it's used in Scripture and you look at potentially how it's used there, and that's a clue to what that number represents um, throughout the rest of Scripture. So, with clothing, I went back to the first place where clothing was mentioned in Scripture, and that was in the garden. And what I noticed is that it also is the first place where blood was shed throughout the Bible and bloodshed in scripture, especially bloodshed between um, God and man or in any kind of like sacrificial way. It was a sign of a covenant back in the old Testament. They would slaughter an animal to make a covenant and to, or to repent of sins and get cleansing from their sins. There was the, there was the shedding of blood that was necessary. So it's interesting that the first place blood was shed was when God had to kill an animal to make garments for Adam and Eve in the garden because now they were aware that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so you know what else I, I came to recognize was that shame is the first place it's spoken about was in the garden as well. And so something that got my attention about shame was a couple years ago I was standing in line at Walmart Staring at those little shiny squares on the floor, waiting to make my return, kind of just daydreaming. And the Lord spoke to my heart out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere. It was so random. And He just says, You know, Jen, there's no room for shame in our relationship. And I'll probably do an episode on this topic because it's so good. But I said, Lord, that's great. It's totally random but thank you. That's really great. <laughs> I literally had no idea what he was talking about. And so, but as I, I chewed on it, cause I was like, well, if he's going to say that, obviously there's something to it. And so as I chewed on it, I began this journey of recognizing the power, the negative power of, of shame and the powerful work of what was done on the cross. So in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid because they were, they hid because they were actually ashamed. And At the cross, do you know the only emotion that's mentioned at the cross? It says that for the joy in Hebrews, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Actually, joy was an emotion mentioned there actually as well. But it endured the cross, scorning its shame. Didn't say anything about fear. Didn't say anything about anger. Didn't say anything about perversion. It said shame. And you know, since then, I've gone on a journey learning about shame and vulnerability. And Brene Renee Brown has an incredible message. It's on YouTube. If you look up Brene Brown and shame or vulnerability, it's an incredible video and it's really worth watching. But she talks about how shame is a base human emotion that we all experience, but that none of us can carry. We are not wired to compute shame. We cannot carry it. We cannot endure with it. Instinctively, we try to offset shame however possible. We try to blame somebody else. Hi, Adam and Eve. We try to lie. We try to hide. We try to do whatever we can, manipulate a situation, whatever, because our soul is trying to get rid of those feelings of shame because we are not biologically wired to process and carry shame. And do you know what she said is that people who are able to be vulnerable and bear or as Adam and Eve were, they were suddenly vulnerable because they were exposed, right? But they couldn't bear their nakedness, their vulnerability because of shame, right? People who are comfortable being vulnerable and bare are people who have been sent the message that you are lovable even on your worst day. They have had people send the message that eradicates shame and says you still have great value. This is actually a really powerful principle for parenting as well. Um, if we can do our part to eliminate shame, then people can begin to walk around in more wholeness. So when it comes to our modesty, the reason why it's such a trippy delicate subject is because there's been so much shame with it and shame touches any area of our life. But back to what the Lord told me, there's no room for shame in our relationship with God in a relationship with him. Jesus flipping died on the cross to break The power of shame because shame is what gets in between us and our relationship with God. Shame causes us to fear, shame causes us to hide, shame causes us to run away, shame causes us to lie. Shame is at the bottom of everything that causes our life to begin to deteriorate. So it's important to me when I talk about modesty that I can help you understand there does not have to be shame in connection to modesty. Your beauty, your attractiveness as a human is a quality and trait of God and his nature. God is beautiful. How many times do we sing about his beauty in worship? How many times do we think about his beauty? Now, is it that we're seeing him and literally he has perfect lips and perfect eyelashes? No. It's his goodness that makes him so beautiful. And that goes back to our scripture that our beauty should come from the inward quiet spirit that's so precious to God. That place that's rooted in Him. That place of goodness and peace and, and confident identity in Him. That is the whole point. Is that our beauty really is an expression of goodness inside of us. But your beauty, your beautiful body, ladies... It does not look like a man's body. It is beautiful and curvaceous and attractive to the eye. And God did that on purpose. (laughs) That was not an accident. And you know what? If you're walking around in a way that betrays your sense of value by wearing less than, than says, I am valuable, well then, yeah, you're selling yourself short. And yeah, guys probably will lust after that. But do you know what, ladies? Their lust in their heart is not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. Just like, now let me give a good example. <laughs> I need to shorten this message. Um, just like if I told my son, if I got my son in a phenomenal car for his 16th birthday. I'll wrap up with this. Let's say I get him a car for his 16th birthday. And it is an awesome car. And it is beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's it's awesome. And I tell him, Judah, I've got you this car, and I'm so proud. I worked so hard to get you this car, and, and I, I chose it myself with careful hands. And you know what? I know it's going to be a blessing to you, but why don't you park it in the garage because I don't want anyone to get jealous. And why don't you just drive it at night so that, You don't make people stumble in their jealousy. We don't want to make the neighbors jealous. We don't want people to think that we're more awesome than we are. So why don't you just hide it and keep it quiet. Enjoy it. But be really, really private with it. Because we don't want to make people jealous. And you're responsible for anyone who feels jealous about your car. Now how stupid is that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. But we have been sending that message to women for years. Cover up, hide, shush, shush. pull. I mean, like really, her slit in her skirt was to her kneecap. Like, really? The point is, ladies, you are not responsible for the sin of other people's hearts. And I have encountered many, many men. Some men feel like one thing is totally inappropriate while another man has no issue with it. Women, how are you supposed to know? How in the world are you supposed to know? You can't know that. What you can do is you can walk from a place of identity and sonship and value and personal mm, dignity, and that can guide your modesty choices. Now, do we want to have a heart that is considerate of the people around us? Absolutely. Modesty is an attitude, modesty is a virtue um it is actually it it holds hands with humility and so yes we want to walk in humility just cuz i may look awesome in a bikini doesn't necessarily mean i'm comfortable wearing one in front of all the people you know what i'm saying so That's where modesty comes in is like, I have value for myself and I have enough value. I don't actually want to flaunt all the things all the time. So modesty is an attitude. Modesty comes from that place of knowing who you are in Christ and and knowing that you're significant. Even if you're not a Christian, you can have a personal sense of dignity and value for yourself that can cause you to walk in modesty. But modesty doesn't mean you wear rags. Modesty doesn't mean you wear trash and that that's more holy. No, like have some respect for yourself and wear the kind of things that make you feel like you're representing yourself to the world well. Because really what we wear is what the world sees and it sends a message. It sends a message about who you are. Again, don't get stuck in the trap of feeling like you're now imprisoned by the message that your clothes are sending. <laughs> I definitely still wear loungy clothes and no makeup when I go to the grocery store sometimes, okay? So let's have some freedom, folks. But I just, I hope that frees you guys a little bit. Now, I, I, I'm i going to make my second episode right now. Um, so come back next week for the second, like part two, and we're going to talk about practicals. We're going to talk about uh, what modesty is and what it isn't. And and don't worry, I'm not going to get legalistic on you, but we're going to draw a little bit of clarity. Um, and yes, we I have some more good stuff to cover. So thank you for listening to this this message. Again, ladies, shake off the messaging that the church has ever sent you, probably well-intentioned, but I think the enemy has tried to twist up the message of your beauty and the message of, of what you look like and how you portray yourself to the world. The enemy has tried to twist it up because he wants to be the one to write that story. And you know what? We're not going to allow that. You get to be the one, you and God get to be the one who write the story of your life and what your beauty is and what your beauty gets to look like. Because you know what? It's your gift. It's the gift God gave you. And you get to manage it how you see fit according to your relationship with the Lord. And so for whatever it counts, ladies, as a minister and as a pastor, for those of you who have walked in shame, I want to say I'm so sorry. For any way the church has sent the message to you or that the enemy has twisted the message to sound like you need to hide or that you need to be ashamed of your female figure. Your female form is a gift, and it is meant to be beautiful, and that is okay. But remember, your female form is meant to characterize you as a queen and as someone of value and someone who loves herself and is loved by God. And so your dress and the way you approach modesty is most whole and most good when it comes from that place of knowing that you are loved by God and you are already accepted in Him and you don't need to prove anything to anybody. Okay, so thank you for listening. Don't forget that life hack this week in the beginning was about Dillard's and going and getting some shoes on sale. Um, And don't take too long to go do that because it may not be on sale after a while. (laughs) Okay, so stay tuned for part two. It was good to talk to you guys. I'll catch you soon. Bye. so much for tuning in to today's show for those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media thank you reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me listen let's stay connected come follow me on instagram at java with jen where you can follow the latest and say hey it's a really great way to stay in touch many of you have also asked how you can support the show You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this, and God's got you.